many episodes are in season one? Only eight. Okay. Thank, I was like, this is going to take <laughs> a very long time. <gasps> Only eight. I was and... thinking it was like a 22 episode season. <laughs> no. That also makes you watching all that yesterday not is okay. I, was like, I, I thought you watched like 30 episodes of Twin Peaks yesterday. <laughs> I didn't even know you were awake that long. <laughs> Hey guys, welcome back to Couple Goals with SNM. Hello. We are on episode 30. Dirty 30. Here we are. We did it. Lohisima. So how's your week going? Fine. <laughs> Is it fine? That's a shirt, by the way, guys. It's uh, not a Couple Goals shirt. It's actually an Isa Brother shirt, but... Um, I I did buy it. I love it. It just literally just says it's fine because it is never fine. <laughs> if I say it's fine, it's not fine. It's never fine. Things are always terrible. Yeah, so it's fine. This week was fine. <laughs> it was fine. It was fine. How's your week? It was fine. Yeah, <laughs> same. No, my, my week was fine. Uh, it was it was the, the male version of fine where it was just fine. It was OK. Yeah. Well, mine was a female version no, of fine. There's no subtext there. It's just it was. It was, it was not okay. fine. It's Nothing not fine. was fine. Everything was terrible. It was not fine. Hey, so I have a new story. Oh, good, because I don't see. I feel like this is something you would have read. That's why it's couple goals, because we didn't discuss that. I don't have a new story and you do. And it's perfect. All right. So this is from. The well, I guess the original source was the Associated Press, but I'm reading it from ABC News. It, uh, authorities say a South Carolina woman has been charged with murder after killing her husband by putting eye drops into his water for several days. I did not read this. Yeah. Tell me everything. <laughs> York County deputies said 52 year old Lana Clayton confessed to investigators after an autopsy uncovered a high amount of tetrahydrosoline tetrahydrosoline we'll say in her husband's body chemical is found in over-the-counter eye drops such as visine authorities say 64 year old stephen clayton was found dead july 21st in the couple's home in clover south carolina arrest warrants in the statement from deputies didn't give a motive for the alleged poisoning lana clayton is also charged with malicious tampering with a drug product or food yeah that, no, that I need more information. That's so. all I got. That's what I got. That's my story. Yeah, eye drops in the water. Who knew, right? So you can't taste Visine in the water? I I guess. Or you're, maybe you're just like, meh, this water is kind of bitter. It's weird. I mean, you don't like water. So if I put Visine in your water, you'd just be like, I told you water sucks. <laughs> <laughs> like, you wouldn't even know. I'd probably spit it out. I hate water as it is. So if you make it taste worse. Well, you know, they say if you put, um, what's that called? Antifreeze. Yeah. In. Gatorade. Gatorade. That you can't tell. Yeah. Because Gatorade sucks anyway. So. But who knew, like, Visine was deadly over a few days? Why are you putting it in your eyes if you put it in your stomach and it kills you? That's so weird. I wonder, was she putting a whole bottle in? I'm very curious. Right. I Like, that's why I said I need more information. Yeah. Well, that's. Like, how 
And how did she figure out that that can kill you? Right. Like, how does she... Oh, I have so many questions. I don't feel like I know nearly enough information. <sighs> so much. So what do you what do you have for us this week? Okay, we haven't done any housekeeping. Oh, you just want to go right in and then. Uh, sorry, I forget. You're the one I'm who the told me one. you wanted to start. Yeah, but I'm pimping the, out the Facebook group since I'm, I'm, we haven't I'm the promoted one, that in so like I forget these 20 things. episodes. Once we get started, I just want to get started. Right. <laughs> You're just like, let's just do it. We'll just do it. Like, figure it all out later. All right. So here's our housekeeping. Well, first of all, that news story was super interesting. Yeah. I feel like I need more information. So I'm going to have to research that. Yeah. And figure out what's going on there. Um, number two, housekeeping. IsleyBrosApparel.com. Shirts are still up. The Crowley shirts and the Sam shirts are up. I have not made any new shirts this week. I've just been really busy because everything, you know, it's just been fine. Everything's been fine. So I haven't got a chance to make any new shirts because everything's just been so fine in my life. Um, also, Facebook group. Yes. We haven't been, we haven't been talking about that in weeks, like months, really. We have a listener group and we have a Facebook page. But I, I just wanted to put out there that if if you have any questions or anything feel free to comment on any of our posts on our Facebook page and if you want to join the listener group you can do that as well I recommend the listener group I mean Facebook pages are fine or whatever but like it's 2018 and people don't really use Facebook pages anymore yeah they just don't they're oh, going okay. the way of the dodo Facebook page Facebook charges for people to see everything on Facebook. Anymore. Oh, I know. I know that. So people don't really interact on Facebook pages anymore unless you're Pizza Hut and people are, and you're, you know, your pizza's fucked up and then people go to your Facebook page to bitch. But other than that, people don't really interact on Facebook pages. Oh, They're good. not really. Well, I was just but, putting it out there as an invitation if, if you did have any, if you wanted to interact, like I said, if, well, if, if you, you have any interact, questions or comments about a topic or suggestions. If you want to interact, join the Facebook listener group. That's we're active on there. Other listeners are active on there. Only like 20 listeners are active on there. But that's where that's where people are. And that's where people like are ta talking to each other. And it's funny because not everyone's on the same episode. So sometimes people will post about older episodes like Sue's right. posted about the goats episode a couple <laughs> a couple days ago. Like that's where people are talking about stuff and that's where we will post like random memes and stuff like that. That's where we're talking. So if you're if you're trying to interact with us and you're not one of our Facebook friends anyway, that's where you'll find us. Yes. Um, other housekeeping. I don't know. I don't really have anything else. Do you? Oh, rate, review, subscribe. Rate, review, subscribe. Get Hit that up tattooed. Our, our Patreon. Oh, yeah. Patreon. For as little as a dollar a month. Yeah. You can help this poor ethiopian podcast you guys we actually do have something pretty exciting coming it'll hit yeah oh what we is it i'm excited is this news to me i feel like uh, you're looking at me like i should know this already oh i can't wait to hear it <laughs> this is gonna be great guys <laughs> i'm very excited <laughs> oh my gosh living with an old person is so fun you guys <laughs> i highly recommend that's, that's ageism that's insensitive no, it's not. How is it ageism <laughs> when you're embracing it and you're talking about how great it is? Oh, you can't compliment people either. It's all oh. bad. It's all. Yeah, it's just so, all bad. So Sean and I talked about this 
not 10 minutes before we started started recording. And Did we he, now? He doesn't remember it. Starting with next week's episode, we are going to start introducing not every week, but occasionally. Oh, a, I know what you're going to say now. A video component. Video. We're going to start introducing it. We're also going to start introducing and we're, we have we haven't figured out the details, so we're open to suggestions um, for Patreons. We're going to start introducing some kind of video component as well. But starting next week, this is for everybody. It, you don't have to you don't have to donate. We're going to occasionally we're going to record the episodes as we as we record them. We're going to video them we're like we'll actually film them. And throw them up on our YouTube channel for everybody. So that way, since Sean's always bitching about my faces. Yeah, you can see. We'll just have a Maggie cam. We'll just keep the camera right pointing at Maggie's face the whole time. So, yeah, that's about it for housekeeping, I think. Unless you have anything else. No. All right. So this week, I decided... To kind of take page from your book. Which one? Don't touch my comic books. Aw, oh, bitch. That's not funny. <laughs> that's not I'm funny. a dad. I got dad jokes. Yeah, clearly. I'm doing my favorite. One of my favorite. Not my favorite, but one of my favorite TV shows. Yeah. We're talking about season one of Twin Peaks. This will be fun. It is fun. Because I've watched that. I'm familiar with it. So the way we're going to do this is um, this episode, I'm going to cover season one of Twin Peaks. Now, by cover, what is are these going to be episode summaries? Is yes. this going to be episode reviews? What are we talking here? We're doing summaries. Summaries of episodes. Yes. So I... Are you going to offer some I was, opinions? I like opinions. Yes. So here's how we're going to do is this. Is it good? Is Twin Peaks good? Should we watch it? No, it's one of my I'm favorites. Just to get, I'm total, trying to get some garbage. spoilers out of the way. <laughs> so here's how we're going to do this. Because at first I was like, Twin Peaks is so, so, there's so much to Twin Peaks. Like, how do you possibly, like, how, how do I cover it? No. Yeah. You know, because there's. There's two seasons, well, three seasons. There's, now. there's three seasons. There's it's a movie. A there's a book. One movie. One movie. one movie. You are right. There's one movie. There's yeah. a there's a book. I read the book there's, too. There's back in the day. There's like twenty whatever episodes or eighteen episodes or however many episodes of the um the third season that was just on Showtime. Yeah. That I didn't even finish because it was not. We didn't watch the finale. It's the <laughs> only episode we did not watch. So anyway, and this episode or in this me today right now. <laughs> I'm going to cover season one. All right. Are you going to tell us how you got introduced to Twin Peaks? That's the stuff that interests me. Next week, I'm going to talk about season two up until the point when we finally figure out who killed Laura Palmer. Okay. In the future, I may wrap up season two. I may I may do more. But season two just fucking goes off the rails. So uh, did you like, watch the movie? Yeah. Okay. I like the movie. It's I like good. The movie David too. Bowie's in it. Um, that other guy's in it. That handsome guy, Chris Isaac. He's in it. Like there's, I, I like the movie, but yeah. whatever. So anyway, for those who don't know, Chris or not Chris, Twin Peaks is 
it's considered a mystery horror drama. Okay. I was actually introduced to it by you. Oh, yeah? Because when it was on TV in 1990, I was a child. So right. I wasn't old enough to watch it. It was created by Mark Frost and David Lynch, and it premiered on ABC. I looked into some of the production because, again, I wasn't old enough back then. Right. So I didn't research the production until like mm, yesterday <laughs> because I didn't, you know, I didn't look at that. It was on Netflix and I watched it based on your recommendation. And it was fucking I fantastic. Even, I don't even remember that, but I'll take that credit. Dude, and it was like I the first time I watched it, it was in it was in the bedroom here at this house. And I got so into it. I was like up till 2 a.m. Like I couldn't I think I do go remember sleep. that. So like I could not go to sleep. I was so obsessed. Like I'm one of those people that's like out by 10 and I couldn't sleep. So the way that it came to be is in the 1980s. Mark Frost worked for for three years as a writer on Hill Street Blues. And following the success of Elephant Man and Blue Velvet, David Lynch was hired by Warner Brothers to create a film about Marilyn Monroe. Elephant Man. Do yeah. you remember that? No, dude, it was May 1980. I wasn't alive yet. 1980? Elephant Man? Yeah. I remember seeing that on TV. I thought that was like a made for TV thing. I'm so confused. Elephant Man now. was 1980 and Blue Velvet was 1986. Maybe I saw it on TV like when it premiered or something. Like I, I wasn't even alive. Anyway, the point is that they they started working together and they had like a whole bunch of films that like they were working on that never got made. Like they had one with Steve Martin that didn't get made like they just kept working. So they started trying to get projects off the ground together and they worked on this thing that was set in North Dakota in the Plains region. And it was going to be titled North Dakota and that shit didn't get made. And then they started <laughs> another one. Long story short. They start this thing in ABC in 19 with ABC in 1988 during um, the Writers Guild of America strike. And ABC's like, yeah, this isn't going to go anywhere, but we'll we'll do a pilot. But the pilot has to be long enough to be sold as a movie in case it doesn't take off. It has to it has to wrap up. So that's why the pilot is so long and the pilot has an alternate ending. This is the Twin Peaks pilot has an alternate ending in Europe because it wraps up. Huh. Yeah. In Europe. So that way they can sell it as as its own thing. Interesting, right? Are they just like, oh, Leland Palmer did it at the end. Spoiler alert. <laughs> For Not really. It's way more involved than that. Spoiler alert for next week's episode. <laughs> this is like, a, this is a really old series. Spoiler alert, 20 years ago. <laughs> you want to know something weird? Nightmare Before Christmas is on its 25th anniversary. Isn't that weird? Doesn't it seem like it's not that old? I got an email from Spirit Halloween saying they have a bunch of 25th anniversary Nightmare Before Christmas stuff. Sorry, I know that has nothing to do with what you're talking about. <laughs> I've derailed your topic. But how do you feel about that? They filmed the pilot for Twin Peaks 30 years ago. Yeah, that show seems old to me. Because I, I remember being a kid 
and going to that dude's house and watching it. Dude, I was a kid when I saw Nightmare Before Christmas. I was like, I was a kid. I feel like that just came out 15 years ago at most. We've been married for 16 years. It doesn't feel like it, though. It feels like eight. Like it feels eight like years. six. We have, <laughs> we have a child in the other room who has a job. He works <laughs> right. like four days a week. What the hell? Okay, so anyway... Anyway, so at several points during filming the pilot episode, David Lynch was improvising because you could tell a lot of his shit's improvised. Yeah. Like, just because David Lynch is a weirdo. Like, if you don't know that, like, you know that. Yeah. But if you're listening and you don't know that, he's a weirdo. And the most notable of his improvisations occurred when set director Frank Silvo was told not to was told to be careful not to get stuck in a room when furniture was being moved around. And Lynch heard this and said that the image of Silva being stuck intrigued him. So Lynch shot footage of Silva getting stuck behind Laura Palmer's bed, but was unsure what to do with this. Do you know who Frank Silva is? I guess it's Bob. That's Bob. So Silva was then accidentally filmed in a reflection in a mirror and it was later used in Sarah Palmer's visions. Hmm. Yeah. So casting, he this is what's interesting about the casting. Um, the Twin Peaks cast members include a lot of Lynch's favorite members, including Jack Nance, who I love. I love Jack Nance. He's dead now. He had Jack Nance's death was actually pretty interesting. He got into a bar fight. Like like in, in a parking lot of a bar. Yeah. He went home and he apparently had a brain aneurysm. He didn't realize from the fight and he died at home from. Wow. From brain bleed. Um, Kyle McLaughlin, uh, Grace Zabriskie. She's Sarah Palmer. She, oh, okay. She's perfect for that role. Perfect. Everett McGill. He tried to get um, Isabella Rossellini, who had been on Blue Velvet. Right. And she was supposed to play. This is what's interesting. She was supposed to be. Giovanni or Giovanna rather Packard. I don't know who that is. She's not in the mood or she's not in the show. Oh, okay. she was supposed to be. But because she wasn't available, they had to create a character called Josie Packard, who's played by oh, Joan Chen. I do know Josie. Yeah, Josie. Nobody likes Josie Packard. She's no. the fucking worst. So it would have been great. Yeah, I would have loved to see her. Yeah. And that would have been you might have actually liked that character. So anyway, we ended up with Joan Chen, who fucking sucks as Josie Packard. I mean, Joan Chen probably doesn't suck, but Josie Packard fucking sucks. So anyway, it should go without saying that. This is full of spoilers, for example, Sean just told you who fucking did it. Kind of, but not really. But but also, yeah. And uh, he was the vessel. That murdered Laura Palmer. So now he really told you who did it. <laughs> That's not true either, but OK. And it, it also needs to be noted that because there's so much going on in this show. That I am not going to cover it all. I'm not even going to try to cover it all. Yeah, because number Some one, of the plots are really dumb. Number one, a lot of it's fucking dumb. Like, I'm not going to talk about Josie Packard's plotline at all. I'm not going to talk about like. Maddie Palmer's or whatever the fuck her name is, like the cousin. I'm not going to talk about her plot line at all. Like, I don't care about a lot of it, you know? Yeah. Like, I'm just not I'm not going to do it. Um, plus, 
there's so much going on that it could be its own podcast. Like it really could. There like probably you, is a Twin Peaks podcast. There's got to be a Twin Peaks. I wouldn't be surprised. If not, it's a real missed opportunity. But the pilot is really, really, really great. Like it's a fantastic pilot. And it makes sense because it was meant to stand alone. Yeah. It was meant to be its own its own show, its own movie. Right. Had which to, which makes, cover a lot of ground. Right. Which makes sense. And why it's a really it's really long and you really could just watch it on its own. It opens with a character that we come to know as Pete Martell, played by Jack Nance. He's an endearing old man and he finds Laura Palmer's dead body washed up on the shore of the lumber mill that is owned by his wife's family. So then we meet Kyle McLaughlin's character, who is special FBI special agent Dale Cooper. And he's called in because another character named Renette Polanski, she's she's alive, but she's found wandering by a bridge and then she collapses into a coma and she's been like what they think is rape, maybe whatever. So she's been abused and she's and she has, has like a little piece of paper under her fingernail. It's like with the letter R. Actually, I'm sorry, that's under. That's under Laura's fingernail. The T is under Renette's. So like there's like these little pieces of cut out newspaper under people's fingernails, which is like the most disgusting thing in the whole fucking world. So, so gross. So this had also happened in a previous case. So that's why like which is actually covered in the movie um, Firewalk with me that we're not covering, but this has also happened in that. So that's why that's why they have um, an FBI agent coming in. So. In the second episode where Audrey Horn and Agent Cooper meet, she introduces herself and she starts flirting with him. And those are my two favorite characters. So I want to say that my two favorite characters by a long shot are Cooper and Audrey Horn. Audrey Horn, that was Sherilyn Fenn, right? That's Sherilyn Fenn, and she's fucking awesome. She was so hot back then. She's day. beautiful. She's she's fucking bitchy. She's badass. She's great. She's a smart ass. I just I love her. So episode two, she he makes Cooper makes his way to the sheriff's department, and he and Sharon Sheriff Truman Harry Truman, <laughs> which. That's I don't understand that, but they uh, they interview Doc Hayward. Now, Doc Hayward was actually played by Warren Frost, who is Mark Frost's dad. Oh, I didn't know that until I started researching it, which I thought was funny. And he had had an autopsy conducted on Laura Palmer's body, and they learned that Laura had had sex with three men the night she died. So is that a lot? Is it a lot? Is it a little? <laughs> so the thing there is that Laura Palmer was thought to be like, I mean, she was she was like the prom queen. She was thought to be such a goody goody. Yeah. Like she was a tutor. She was just thought to be such a goody goody. And she it, as we come to find out throughout the show, like she had a coke habit. She was a drug dealer. She, yeah. you know, she was not she was not or she was a bit of a prostitute. Like she was she was not whoever a little bit of a prostitute. she was just a little bit. Um, I don't think we find that out until season two, actually, but whatever. So uh, something I had glazed over from the pilot is that everybody is having sex with everybody, <laughs> everybody. So like. There's so much sex going on. 
So Bobby is Laura Palmer's boyfriend, and he is having sex with Shelly, the waitress. And Laura Palmer was having sex with James Hurley. And he was he's a cool guy with a motorcycle. That's that's his. Name. <laughs> and this is important information. So everybody has sex with everybody in Twin Peaks, and there's probably tons of STDs. That's what Doc Hayward's probably. That's his job. So Bobby's played by Dana Ash Brooke, maybe. Yeah. And uh, terrible actor. Terrible. Fucking terrible actor. So he's like an initial suspect in episode one, but then they kind of. They kind of figure out he didn't do it, but he's a terrible actor. And I thought maybe it was because he was young. Yeah, I but think then, he was better when he was older, though. You really thought so? And yeah. when they brought it back? Yes, I thought he was I a didn't. lot better. He was not good. So getting back to Shelly, the waitress who is having he's she's married to a guy named Leo and she's having an affair with Bobby. I used to think Leo looked like Mike Patton. <laughs> I, I can see it. He's played by a guy named Eric DeRay. His last name is spelled D-A space R-E. So I could be pronouncing that wrong. Hmm. But so she's about to leave for work. This is an episode two, I think. And uh, she's about to leave for work. And and Leo is like, Shelly, do my laundry. Because it's a lot of really bad acting, but it's such a good show. It's a little bit of a soap opera. Yeah, it's like a soap opera murder. It's really good. It's like a soap opera with a with a really cool mystery it's it's such a good show some supernatural so overtone she finds the bloodstained shirt among his clothes and she hides it before he notices but then like later on he realizes it's missing because they're like you later find out leo's a drug dealer but like um he seems to be very poor he's not very poor he has like a semi and a corvette but he seems to be very poor like they live in a really shitty house and they don't have a lot of clothes but like he uh so he notices his clothes are missing. So when she gets home from work, she works at uh, she's a waitress. She works at a diner. Um, he questions her about it. And then when she's like, I don't know what you're talking about, Leo. And he beats her to sh- like to near death with a bar of soap and a sock. Mm. So. I love this version of the me <laughs> telling. Yeah, it's, <laughs> cr- it's just making me smile. <laughs> <laughs> you sound like a really caffeinated teenager over there. I'm like, so this phone. is pretty much what happened. <laughs> so then, and the way that the show goes, like, I rewatched it yesterday to to be able to do this. Rewatched right what up. yesterday? Twin Peaks. Surely you all know of it. Well, I stopped at a season two, episode seven. When? Holy shit. Didn't you notice? I know it was on. I didn't know you watched all of it. <laughs> well, I, I did skip. I skipped all the scenes with like Maddie, like all the scenes that I knew. I hate. There are some characters that I fucking hate yeah. in Twin Peaks. And I skipped all of those. OK, like when I would see they would come on. That's the cool thing about the fire stick is you can see the you can see the pictures of the scene. So, you know, yeah. what you're skipping. So like I skipped, so I skipped a lot of scenes with the, the characters that I hated, um, but I watched them so that way I could. So the thing is, there's no transition between the scenes. So like they'll, they'll it's very soap opera where they'll be like, oh, I beat Shelly like to near death with the sock. And then they're like, meanwhile, at the yeah. sheriff station, it's yeah. like, but a lot What's of, going on with Shelly in the sock? Lots of threads going yeah. on. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So they beat, they, you know, Leo beats the shit out of her or whatever. And then, 
Okay, so then then they go back to the sheriff station, and Cooper is Cooper, who is Kyle McLaughlin, interviews James Hurley, who's the cool guy with the motorcycle, about this video that he found of Laura Palmer, the dead girl, and Donna Hayward, who is played by Laura Flynn Boyle, and that's actually Doc Hayward's daughter. So Laura Flynn Boyle, I just. That was before she was popular. Yeah, it was <laughs> before she was popular. She actually filmed that between seasons one and two of this. So um, Hayward had denied. So Laura Flynn Boyle, Boyle or Donna Hayward, she, Donna was Laura's best friend, Laura Palmer's best friend. And she had denied James being present the day that this video was taken because like James and Laura Palmer had that secret, that secret bang relationship or whatever, yeah. because Donna didn't know Laura Palmer was a prostitute. She didn't know she had a drug habit. Like, she didn't know any of that. Yeah. That was all secret. So, so she had denied it was present, but then Coop noted, because Coop's, like, world's best FBI agent. Yeah. He's, like, super-duper smart. So he noticed the reflection in Laura Palmer's eyeball of a motorcycle. So she was like, who has a motorcycle or whatever? And they were like, James wait, Hurley. Wait, wait, what? He noticed a reflection of a motorcycle. I'm confused in her in her eyeball after she was dead. No, in the video. Oh, in the video. OK, so Coop confronts Hurley about the affair and he's like, you were there. And he's like, and she had cocaine and he figured out about the cocaine because when he went through her not secret diary her like regular diary that she kept in her house. Yeah. He found like a little baggie with some cocaine left in it. Cocaine. Cocaine. So Hurley's like, yeah, I saw her the night she died, but I didn't kill her or whatever. <laughs> so then like. <laughs> right. Right. Like I didn't. <laughs> I didn't kill her, though. So in this episode, we also do meet Josie Packard. So how many episodes are in season one? Only eight. Okay, thank, I was like, this is going to take <laughs> a very long time. <laughs> Only eight. I was thinking it was like a 22-episode <laughs> season. No. That also makes you watching all that yesterday not is okay. I, was like, I, I thought you watched like 30 episodes of Twin Peaks yesterday. <laughs> I didn't even know you were awake that long. <laughs> no, and I, and I skipped. Like, the Josie Packard scenes, I like, I would watch just a little bit. And then, like, she makes out with the sheriff a lot because everybody has sex with everybody. And I was like, fast forward. Like, I don't need to see Josie Packard fucking, like, making out with Harry Truman. Like, I'm good. I'm all set. Um, so, yeah. So we meet Josie Packard, Pete Martell's sister-in-law. I love Pete Martell. I do. I just adore him. He is such a sweet guy. Uh, so she's the owner of. He reminds me of uh, Fred Willard. OK, I could see that. And she's the owner of the Packard Lumber Mill, and she's sleeping with a sheriff, as I mentioned. And um, we also learned that Pete's wife, Catherine Martell. So Catherine Martell's brother was Josie Packard's husband. He He's dead. So we so we think, mm -hmm. although I'm not going to actually cover that part of season two. But anyway, um, Catherine Martell is banging Benjamin Horn, who we haven't talked about yet. That's Audrey's dad. So they're fucking. But Audrey's dad is super married to Audrey's mom. But whatever. Super married. Well, I mean, whatever. <laughs> and Benjamin and Catherine are planning a hostile takeover of the mill. And hostile takeover of the mill, which actually later we learn. And I don't know if we learn it in season one or two, but we learn that they're just actually going to burn it down. So the episode closes with Dr. Jacoby, who was played by Russ Tamblin. 
Amber Tamblin's dad. Yes. He's Laura's psychiatrist, and he's listening to an audio tape that she had made for him, which is super fucking weird. Because I don't make audio. Well, I'm making you an audio tape right now, listener. So (laughs) I guess it's not that weird. But he's listening to an audio tape and he is sobbing as he toys with half of a golden heart necklace, like one of those like BFF necklaces. Yeah. The other half of which was found at the scene of the crime of her body being found. Dun dun. Dun dun dun. So, okay, so episode three opens with Ben Horn, the guy who's fucking Pete Martell's wife, with his brother, Jerry, who's played by David Patrick Kelly, the guy from... He's in the, uh, crow. the crow. He's also in the Warriors. He's he like barges in on a family dinner where the horns are all eating, and that's where we meet Audrey's um, disabled brother for the first time, who's just the sweetest guy. And they catch up on like this overseas visit because he's all he's a real estate investor. So they catch up or whatever, and they they decide to go to One Eyed Jacks, which is a casino and a brothel across the uh, the Canada border, Canadian border. Okay. So they're like, let's go over there. We're going to we're going to go sleep with a new prostitute. That's (laughs) they do a coin. They literally do a coin flip. They go over there and then they like flip a coin like who's going to sleep with the new whore. And they're like, yeah, I I won. And then sex workers. Not on this show. They're not. So. (laughs) So then Bobby and Mike, if I talk about we know who Bobby is, right? Bobby was Laura's boyfriend. Mike is Mike is Donna's boyfriend and Bobby's best friend. Okay. He's also a ginger. I don't think that matters, but I feel like you should know. So that way when you picture him, <laughs> you have an idea. So they drive into the woods to pick up a, a hidden delivery of cocaine because they're drug dealers. They're working for Leo. So they're ambushed by Leo Johnson, who demands the $10,000 that the pair owe them. Oh, him, which Laura, who was also a drug dealer, she was like the third. Yeah. Um, had locked in her safety deposit box because, you know, she was the third one in the pair. But... <laughs> They're Le- one of the pair. <laughs> she was really good. <laughs> uh, yeah, she's so she's the third one of the pair or whatever. And uh, uh, anyway, Leo hints that Leo hints that um, he suspects someone sleeping with his wife, Shelly. And Bobby's like, oh, yeah, you got any ideas? Because it's, it's fucking him, you know. And this is the first time. Oh, OK, so that's it. That's like it for that scene. They're just like, <laughs> he's like, yeah, you got any ideas? And Leo's like, go long. He's holding the football. Yeah. And then that's how, and like, they like, go long. They wrap up by playing football. <laughs> Pretty much. They're like, oh, he's like, go long. And like, they like run into the far part of the woods and like Leo drives off. And that's it for that scene. And it's like, cool. It's like, you, you ever see that part of Arrested Development when maybe is working as a um, film producer and she's like, I'll just I better say I understand because I don't want to look dumb. Right. It's like that. It's like that. That's how that scene wraps up. You're just like, got it. (laughs) So the episode closes with. Oh, no. Hold on. That was Charlize Theron's character that said that. No. In Arrest Development. Maybe said Charlize Theron is mentally retarded in that episode. Right. So she has a really bad mentally handicapped. She is MRF. She's a mentally retarded female. That's literally <laughs> Mr. what. Mr. F. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, but she she has a really bad idea about walking on water. And that's when maybe says that back to her. Yeah. She's like, I better say I understand because I don't want. Yeah. Oh, okay. anyway. She's having a conversation with her. So yeah. OK, that makes sense. 
So this is the first time, though, that we see Leland Palmer, who's played by Ray Wise, who is like the ultimate creep. I love Ray Wise. He He's from in, Akron. He was in RoboCop. Yeah, he is. And he was in Billion Dollar Movie. Absolutely. Yes. Um, so we see him lose his ever loving shit. He begins dancing around his living room and he's sobbing and he's holding a portrait of Laura. Laura and he's like he breaks open the picture frame. and He cuts his hands and his wife, Sarah, is screaming at the top of his. Oh, my God. So we see this and it's like super fast. Like it happens in like a minute and a half. And then they cut to the last scene of the episode like this. This. Yeah. Like David Lynch is a really good director. <laughs> so he's really good at, at unnerving the unnerving viewer. Unnerving fucking like it's very like Whoa, what just happened? You and never saw Blue Velvet, did you? No, it was I was five. Or Lost Highway? No. Or Eraserhead? Stop talking. So <laughs> the episode closes with Agent Cooper retiring to bed in his hotel room and experiencing a strange dream featuring a one-armed man who identifies himself as Mike and Bob who vows to kill again. Coop then dreams that he is in a room hung with red curtains. Anyone who's seen my shoulder tattoo knows that that is what is on my arm. And the man from another place and Laura Palmer speak to him in a jarring and disjointed manner before Laura leans over and whispers in his ear. Cooper wakes up, telephones Harry Truman, the sheriff, and declares that he knows who the murderer is. So that's the scene that's that's the famous scene. Yeah. Black Lodge. So episode four, we're halfway done, opens with Harry showing up at Agent Cooper's breakfast table going, so who killed Laura Palmer? Right. You know, and he tells Harry about the dream and he's like, so, you know, what was the end of the dream? And he tells him, you know, it's 25 years later. The gum that you like is coming back in style. It's like that big, that famous scene. And yeah. they, they replay it like they show it. And and Harry's like, well, who killed her? And Coop's like, I forgot. Right. I remember that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so could you imagine waiting a week to see that episode? Right. And, and that's then it. there's like, I fucking forgot. Sorry. <laughs> it's like, I forgot. And like, and Lucy's there. Lucy is like the really I, I skip but over. Dreams, it's funny, though, because that's like that the show is so, you know, weird. And yeah. Esoteric almost. And that's just such a real thing. Yeah, I forgot. I had a dream, but I forgot what happened in my dream. <laughs> yeah, I forgot. I remember the other night when you were you were dreaming? <laughs> no, you remember it. I don't. I was yeah. dreaming. I was asleep. Yeah, the, the other night, Maggie started laughing in her sleep, like full on laughing, like she was asleep and that she just burst out laughing. So I was very curious what had woken her up to laugh. And I said, what are you laughing at? And she said to me, you don't know. It's like, no, I do not know. You're sleeping. And you started laughing hysterically again. <laughs> and then I w she was like, oh, yeah, I was dreaming. And she, I, I don't think she was awake the entire time. But it was it was a funny exchange. Though. It was also weird to hear my wife just burst out laughing maniacally almost in her sleep as I'm that laying next to her. So unsettling. If I was fast asleep and you just burst out laughing and it woke you me did. up. You did. You just like I would be like it wasn't like a howling ah! laughter, but it it was it was a good solid laugh. Like something seemed genuinely funny. I was curious what it was. Apparently I should have known already. <laughs> I <was laughs> Apparently like, I was in the dream with you're you. You're so dumb. <laughs> right. I'm guessing I was in the dream with you and I witnessed or caused these events. I don't know. And and then you made fun of me for not knowing and then then you ended by saying, Oh yeah, I'm having a fucking dream. 
And yeah. then you were, you were just back to snoring again. Yeah. No, I don't remember any of that. All right. So back to Twin Peaks. Now we get to meet Albert Rosenfeld, which is played. He was played by uh, Miguel Ferrer. He Love was a Miguel great. Ferrer. He was also in Robocop. Yeah. And he was a great character yeah. on this on the show. He was very dry and he is he's very he's a great character. So we had met him actually earlier. I just didn't mention him. But in this one, he's he wishes to conduct. He's he's with he's with the FBI. Sorry, I didn't mention him earlier, but he's with the FBI and he he's a he's one of Coop's colleagues and he wishes to conduct a further postmortem on Laura's body. Like, and he's fighting because it's funeral day and they want to take him. They're like, you know, let the family have closure. And he's like, oh, well, you know, they can have a funeral any old time. I can only can do these tests right now. I yeah. mean, he's really, you know, he's a man of science. He's he's right. Right. And they're like, oh, I'll let him have their funeral or whatever. And he grabs a drill and he's like, get ready to drill into her skull, like in front of the family. <laughs> and and uh, Harry Truman walks in and punches him in the face. And it's like, it's really quite funny. So later on, Rosen, Rosenfeld shares what he's found. And Laura had been bound when she had been killed and she had been addicted to cocaine. And which I don't know how you can tell you could addicted. I guess maybe it destroys your uh your cartilage in your nose and stuff, I think. Oh, okay. So, and she had an, an unidentified plastic shard found in her stomach. So later mm -hmm. that night, Coop, uh, Harry Truman, Deputy Hawk, who is this great Native American deputy that they have, played by Michael Horse, and Ed Hurley, who is played by Everett McGill. Um, and he's also James's uncle in this in the show. And they meet at the Double R Diner, who is just owned by... Peggy Lipton. Um, I don't remember her character's name. Norma. Norma. And Norma is having an affair with Ed Hurley because everybody fucks everybody <laughs> in this show. So Truman explains that someone's been smuggling cocaine into town and he suspects Jacques Renault, who's a bartender at the Roadhouse Bar. And he he explains that the woods in the town seem to contain a darkness and reveals that there is a secret society of men gathering to set to stand watch and that they're called the bookhouse boys this is where the show is kind of like oh all right i mean i guess and truman and the others they bring coop to the bookhouse boy headquarters where james has jacques brother bernard bound and gag they question bernard and he denies any crimes and then like that's it that's the end of that scene they're just like did you do it he's like no and they're like all right. So Jacques realizes that Bernard's in brother and he calls Bernard's in brother. Bernard's in trouble and he calls Leo Johnson for help. So Johnson leaves his house. Johnson's like, Shelly, I'm leaving. And she's like, where are you going? And he's like, don't ask questions. And he leaves. <laughs> like, I, love, I love your impressions. <laughs> <laughs> it's especially quite especially funny because Leo's such an asshole, but his actual like the the actor's delivery is very like, don't ask questions. Like he's actually very soft spoken, even though he's an ass. <laughs> so Shelly grabs a gun and hides it in a secret drawer. And that's how that episode ends. And so you it ends with you being like, I hope Shelly kills him. And ep so episode five opens with Sarah Palmer having a police sketch artist draw the man from her vision. So Sarah Palmer's like ever so slightly psychic. Yeah. And she's been seeing this guy who is actually Frank Silva, the the set dresser guy. 
Yeah. That we talked about who that guy. So she has him being sketched or whatever. And he's crouching at the foot end of Laura's bed, which we all know is David Lynch's idea of like, hey, Frank Silva looks good, which is hilarious because when once I realized that that's who Frank Silva was and that's how it all and I watched the scene of Frank Silva as Bob doing all these things. Yeah. I realized that he never would have been cast to do this. Right. Because he was tiny. He was smaller than the actresses. Oh. He was probably 5'5". Five, five. Yeah. I'm guessing he weighed 110 pounds. Hmm. He was so small that they had to splice him in and out. Yeah. With Leland Palmer, with Ray Wise, yeah, because like that's why the cuts are like that is because if he they cut out if they hold on him too long, you can see how small he is. Huh. He is a tiny man, hmm. but his face was super creepy. Yeah, like he just had he had a very he had a, his face had a look. So anyway, episode five opens with him and he's like, whatever. So he's weird, <laughs> and then they're like so. They finish sketching him and then Deputy Brennan, he's Andy, he's he cries a lot. So if you've actually seen the show, oh, it's, I remember it's Andy. the deputy who cries a lot. I've I cut out the Lucy and Andy storyline. I yeah. didn't cover that, which if you saw the newest one on Showtime, uh, Michael Sarah plays their son. So he brings in the sketch, which Coop identifies as the man from his dream, Bob from his dream. And he. Then he receives a call from Deputy Hawk, who has located the one-armed man from him that he believes to be involved, and they find him at a motel. So the man, whose name is Philip Michael Gerard, is a traveling shoe salesman. He denies any involvement or that he knows Bob. At the same motel, Ben Horn is having an affair with Catherine Martell, and they are <laughs> they are laying there in bed talking. Even though Ben Horn owns the Great Northern, which is the biggest motel or hotel rather in the area they're at the shit ass motel because you can't have an affair at your own hotel and uh they're sitting there talking about planning to burn down the town sawmill so josie packard has been suspecting something so she's sitting outside staking out the motel trying to figure out what they're up to Mm. when deputy hawk gets there and she takes off because she sees the police vehicle and she's having an affair with the police officer so she doesn't want to be seen there so (laughs) Later on, Horn meets up with Leo Johnson, the guy who beat up his waitress wife, and uh, he arranges with Leo to have the mill destroyed. So Leo is going to be the guy to actually burn it down. He's the arsonist. Yeah. So Norma Jennings, that's the one that Peggy Lipton plays. She travels up to a parole hearing. So this might seem like out of left field, but she's married. She's the one having an affair with with uh, James's uncle. But she she travels up for a parole hearing for her husband, Hank. He's in jail for manslaughter because he killed somebody for Josie Packard. Ah. Yeah. It's all very... Convoluted. Yeah. It's like, do you guys know anybody outside of the town? Have you ever left your town? Because most of the people I know aren't in in my town. (laughs) (sighs) So, even though she doesn't really like her husband... And she's having an affair with Ed Hurley. She promises that she'll give her husband a job if he does get out. And meanwhile, Shelly, who's having an affair with Bobby, she uh, she shows Bobby Johnson's bloodstained shirt that she stole like two episodes ago and got beat for. And he takes it and he's like, you know, I'll I'll get rid of 
Leo for good with this. Yeah. She doesn't, he doesn't like Leo anyway, because Leo's his boss in the, the drug whatever that they're doing. So Cooper, Truman, and Brennan. So that's that's um, Andy and Harry. They visit the veterinarian that's connected to the one-armed man. So the one-armed man's best friend is in the hospital, and he's a vet. So I was going to say, like, I've seen this show, and I'm having trouble following this. <laughs> like, I've watched this show multiple times, and I'm like, who? Do you address the one-armed man? Is, it that, is that the Pierre guy? Who's the one-armed man? Gerard. Philip Gerard. Gerard. Philip Gerard. Philip Gerard. So... His best friend is in the hospital, so they go to the to the vet. It, it's hard to follow when you watch it. Yeah. So anyway, they find twine there that would it's the same type that was used to bind Laura. And they believe that the bird that was used to claw her, because she had claw marks. I don't know if I mentioned that if I not. No. It's really hard to talk about Twin Peaks, you guys. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard work. So... <laughs> Anyway, so they take all the practices files and they're like, we're pretty sure that the bird was a patient at this vet. So we'll figure out who the owner is or whatever. And we'll go through all the files. So they have Lucy, the receptionist. They have her go through all the files and she figures out that Jacques Renault, who is the one of the brothers in that all those other Renaults, yeah. you know, that we talked about, like they figure out that Jacques Renault owns the bird that did that did the damage to Laura's shoulder. Hmm. So they raid Jacques Renault's home. And while they're like when they're coming in, Bobby is in Jacques Renault's house planting Leo's shirt hmm. because they were planning to set up Leo and Jacques Renault because yeah. they know Leo and Jacques Renault work together on the cocaine thing. So they find that shirt. They take it. But it turns out it's just Jacques Renault's blood on the shirt. It's not it's not Laura's. Oh, so. It doesn't really matter that it's there or whatever. That's uh, that's it for episode five. Episode six, Audrey Horn. Oh, she says really badass things. Like in episode six, she says, in the real world, there is no algebra. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, <laughs> is that badass? That's awesome. Oh. So she interviews for this job at her father's department store. And the interviewer is this fucking, he's this douchebag who dies in season two. His name's Emery. And he... Uh, He's like, mm, I don't think so. You know, like, you're not right for this. I don't really like you. I'm, I'm a douchebag. And she so she blackmails him into giving her this job at this. And Laura and Renette, so the two the two chicks from the beginning, the one who was murdered and the one who's in a coma. Yeah, um, they both worked there. And she was like, so clearly the, it has a tie to this perfume counter at this department store. Yeah. So she blackmails the hiring manager into giving her a job. So that's that's like its own little side story. And then you're like, all right, on to the next thing. So using a, a photograph from the Renault, Renault, um, Jacques Renault's home and clues from Coop's dream, investigators find this log cabin in the wood that they believe to be the scene of the murder. On the floor, Coop finds fragments from a one eyed Jack casino chip and it matches the piece found in Laura's stomach. So it turns out someone had shoved a one-eyed Jack casino chip into her belly. Um, and Truman finds Waldo, and he's the caged minor bird who had had attacked her her shoulder or whatever. <laughs> what? Why are you looking at me like that? <laughs> because you were, you were miming things again. I, this is why we have to do video, because I was miming a bird attacking someone's shoulder. <laughs> so that same afternoon, Bobby... Bobby's parents are really nice. They're... Uh, 
Major Major Briggs, who's in the I don't know, something. Military. Military. And he and Bobby attends family counseling with Dr. Jacoby. And he had a Dr. Jacoby was the guy who also saw Laura as a patient. And Bobby's initially like really dismissive. But then as soon as his parents left the room, he like broke down and he told him that Laura was really depressed and that she wanted to die and that she had pressured Bobby into dealing drugs so that she could use them. Like, and it was like, oh, like, and you realize Bobby's just a kid, you know, and yeah. that he was because he is he's he's like a high school senior played by a 29 year old man <laughs> played by a, a guy who could not act <laughs> like a middle aged man who did not know how to act. So. So at this party at the Great Northern, which is that hotel, and they're welcoming new investor, investors, Ben Horn and Catherine Martell are discussing plans to burn down the, the mill to buy the land cheaply. And Leland, like, loses his shit. So he's there. Because Leland Palmer, I didn't really talk about what he does, other than the fact that he's Laura Palmer's dad. And as Sean told everybody, he's the burderer. But he, uh, yeah, uh, he's actually... Ben Horn's lawyer and he's he was a great lawyer like he I mean by great lawyer I mean really good at running money through the Caymans and making extra money for people <laughs> so he began sobbing hysterically when a certain piece of music starts and Martell escorts him away and oh is this that song you sing, you sing no the song? but I do have that I have that in here later I think it's actually not until season two that the the mares eat oats and does eat oats and little lambs eat ivy yes a kid will eat ivy too wouldn't you no, that's not this one. So meanwhile, Shelly's waiting at home with her gun and <laughs> Leo, Leo gets back. And then Hank is out there. So Hank is is Norma's husband, who's like a hired. He got out on parole or whatever. Yeah. So Hank attacks him beside his truck, threatening him. So Leo comes in and he's all like, mad because he just got an attack by Hank, you know, and he takes it out on Shelly because he's not a he's he's an asshole. Leo's the worst. And Shelly draws her gun and he shoots him. So Shelly shoots him, but Hank shot him, too, like from the outside. Yeah. So Leo like stumbles out anyway, whatever. So Leo's Leo's been shot. So Coop comes back to, to the Great Northern and he's uh. He walks into his room and he's suspicious because someone's he, he feels like someone's in there, you know? Yeah. You can kind of sense other people. And he points his gun and he turns on the light. And Audrey Horn is naked in his bed. <laughs> and that's the end of episode six. Uh, that's not so terrifying. No. Episode seven, Coop's like, no fucking way, Audrey. I'm in the FBI and you're 17. And <laughs> and uh, next morning, he and Sheriff Truman plan to go undercover to one eye Jack. That that's the brothel in Canada. Yeah. And Renault is a dealer in the casino there. Jacques Renault, the guy who the house they raided. And they're like, we'll bring Ed Hurley. And Coop's like, well, I'll requisition ten thousand dollars from the FBI and then we'll go in as high stakes gamblers. They they have that plan. Like that's kind of like just know that that's happening in the background. Leo Johnson, he's alive but injured, and he's out in the woods spying on his own home. So, you know, Shelly's like, oh, my God, Leo's out there somewhere. And Bobby's like, I'll take care of you. And Shelly's, like, terrified that Leo's going to come back and kill her. And Bobby's like, I I'll take care of this forever. And, like, Leo is out there seeing firsthand because he didn't know Bobby was, like, 
having an affair with Shelly until yeah. he saw that. So he's out there in the truck and then he hears the the police scanner. He's listening to the police scanner and he hears that um, the minor bird, Waldo, hears <laughs> that Waldo is considered a witness because he mimics speech and he is he's talking. And he's saying things like, Leo, no, like, <laughs> yeah. So so he drives to Leo drives to the police station. This is after he's been shot. This is after he's been shot by both Hank and Shelley. And he drives to the police station and shoots Waldo through the window. Hmm. Audrey, meanwhile, has begun working at the department store um, in that position that both Laura and Renette had had before. And she starts spying on another co-worker who is being showered with gifts and offered a job in hospitality by the store's manager. That that creep Emery. Yeah. So she's like, well, what the hell? So she hides herself in a closet to, to find out what's going on. And she finds out that this chick is being sent to One-Eyed Jacks to be a prostitute. And she's like, well, I want to be a prostitute. But, like, not really. She, <laughs> she wanted to be a prostitute, but she wanted to, like, go investigate a little bit. So she she goes and she, like, goes there under a false name. And she meets the, the brothel's madam, Blackie O'Reilly. And she finally, like, gets in with her. And Audrey ties a cherry stem with her tongue. And she's like, you're hired. And... Then Catherine Martell learns about this new life insurance policy that was taken out in her name. I never understood that with the cherry. I understand you have to have a very gifted tongue. Yeah, my tongue doesn't do that. But at the same time. I don't know. You, you, I just. I, I don't know what you would do with that. That's so amazing. Uh, I mean. Putting your dick in a woman's mouth is already amazing. You don't need her. Like, right. Unless you unless you have a cherry stem sized penis. <laughs> what is right? that going to do for you? Well, and also, if you have a cherry stem-sized penis, well, you've already got enough issues. But number two, <laughs> do you really want it tied in a knot? Because I feel like that would hurt. <laughs> like, that's not, like, that's yeah, nice. not, just not sure what, uh... That's not good. Yeah. All right, so, there's more to it, but we're just going to skip straight to, to episode eight. Because okay. I'm already in an hour, and this is going to be very long. Is this just is this the Maggie? <laughs> is no. It's <laughs> absolutely. Well, everybody, just skip ahead to, to now, if you're... <laughs> to now. Uh, so, episode eight is the season one finale. So, Coop and Ed Hurley are undercover at One-Eyed Jack, and Coop speaks to the drug smuggler, um, Jacques, whom he believes in. It's, it's a really gross scene, because... Like Jacques tells him what happened that night, like the night of Laura's murder. Yeah. At the at the cabin. And they keep and Jacques is like this very, very heavy, gross. Like he's got like a lot of saliva coming out of his mouth. Like he's like he's just a gross man. Like he's very damp, moist man. He's <laughs> like top of the hut. Yeah. And he's like and they keep zooming in on his mouth while he talks. And it's like, whoa, stop doing that. So he talks about he talks about what happened to her the night she died and 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 he um, so they they arrest him for the murder like he they, he comes back to the U.S. and they arrest him for the murder. And while he's resisting arrest, he gets shot by Andy and Leland learns of the arrest. He travels to the to the hospital and he smothers Jacques Renault. Hmm. Yeah. So Johnson's wife, Shelley, we know we know Shelley. So Shelly is at home when he returns, when Leo returns from shooting Waldo, and he assaults her. He drives her to the sawmill, he ties her up, and he rigs a time device that will set the building on fire. Meanwhile, um, Josie, who we hate, 
Josie reads up, meets up with uh, Hank Jennings, the parolee, and gives him $90,000. And it's revealed that Josie actually paid him to serve those 18 months in prison and ensured them that neither of them would be implicated in the death of Josie's husband. So she actually had him killed and was trying to inherit the mill. So that's a that's a little interesting. That's a little interesting thing. So Cooper returns to his hotel room and orders room service. But before he can read the note that was left by Audrey, Audrey left a note saying, hey, I'm going up to one eye Jacks to try and figure out what's going on. Deputy Brennan called to say that Johnson had been shot. Oh, Johnson had been shot. Did I mention that? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so by now, like Leo was like down for the count. Like he had been he Hank had shot him through like when he found out that he hadn't been killed. He had like really put a bullet in his head. Yeah. But he hadn't killed him. Leo was alive. Yeah. But he hadn't killed him. He was just brained up. He's a vegetable. Yeah. So Brennan calls. Andy calls and was like, hey, Leo's been shot. So a knock draws coop over to his door and when he opens the door an unseen figure who we later find out is Josie Packard shoots coop three times in the belly and that's I forgot that's who shot him I remember that that's how the season ended is that he was shot and laying there and then he like goes into those visions or whatever but uh well he doesn't go into the visions until season season two two. yeah then uh I forgot who shot him that was like the big mystery who shot who shot Cooper yeah it was Josie Packard it's like when, when Mr. Burns got shot, nobody knew who did it, and it turned out to be Maggie. It was Maggie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was it was Josie Packard who who the fuck cares? Josie Packard is the fucking worst. And <laughs> Josie Packard's eventual death, which doesn't happen until late in season two, she like dies from fear. She just eventually is like ah! <laughs> and she just, fear. she just just falls over dead. It's like, all right, this show just goes off the rails at some point. But yeah, that's it for season one. Season one is fucking great. I did not do it any justice. Sorry, guys. You should really watch it. <laughs> I, I enjoyed your summation. <laughs> that's my version of uh, what happened in season one. Like, that's like the telephone version of <laughs> Twin Peaks. <laughs> that's what you guys got. Yes. I'm like, oh, did I mention Leo got shot? Shit. I, Sorry. I think you mentioned got shot. about 46 different names. I'm sure everybody <laughs> followed exactly who everyone was. <laughs> So what's funny is like I know everyone so well that I'm just like and it yeah, also you know. it also helped that you would name their actor as well. <laughs> I'm sure that didn't throw anybody off. Well, I feel like you guys anyone. need to know who the actors are because a lot of the actors are like real, like known actors. Yeah, not all of them. Like Dan- Dana Ashbrook. Like what the fuck has he ever been in? But like Everett McGill is somebody. Peggy Lipton. That's Rashida Jones' mom. You yeah. know, those are people. <laughs> they are people. <laughs> They're all people that you mentioned. Hey, so I'm going to start my segment. I'm going to start it with a question. The answer is no. No. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> Who do you think is the most profitable comic book character of all time? Spider-Man. Why do you think that? Because you've talked about Spider-Man a lot today, and I feel like <laughs> that is the right answer. See, that's upsetting because I th- I thought it was Batman. When do you think it was Batman? You clearly think it's Spider Man, but only because you knew I was going to talk about Spider Man. <laughs> okay. But would, what would you think without? 
No, actually, just... I would really think it's it's Spider-Man just because I feel like the kids had more Spider-Man stuff. I feel like we've owned more Spider-Man well, stuff over our That's because of me. <laughs> you like Batman more than Spider-Man. Oh, that's not true at all. That's not Spider-Man is my favorite superhero. You didn't know that? You're looking at an 18-inch Spider-Man as you were trying to implore me to admit that I'd prefer Batman as you stare at an 18-inch <laughs> Spider-Man figure with so, a 7-inch Spider-Man figure right on top of it. <laughs> so, so today, make your case. <laughs> so today, funny story. So today, Sean did not wake me up for the first time on a Sunday in, I don't know, 16 years, 18 years. <laughs> <It's been> so, <laughs> so like, he, he let me sleep in, and I, which he normally lets me sleep in after waking me up. He wakes me up and then lets me go back to sleep. So I wake up and it's like 10 o'clock and I come out and Sean is eating. Sean either sits on the couch and watches TV while he eats or he, he paces while he eats one or the other. So he's pacing and he has his back to me. So I come up and I walk up on him real close just to freak him out a little bit. And because that's what you do when someone's already had two heart attacks. You like to you like to scare them just a little <laughs> bit while they're eating. And he is standing in he is inspecting his two Spider-Men men. Spider-Men? <laughs> My Spider-Man. Spider-Mans? <laughs> My Spider-Mans. Is that better? <laughs> Figures. So closely. He's he is like hunched over with his little sandwich on his plate and he's leaned in and he's looking. And he's like, so I'm like standing super close to him and he turns and walks right into me. And he's like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. He's all upset. But he was I was eating a bagel, not a sandwich. Oh, bagel. My bad. Yeah. But he is so close to it. It was yeah, insane. That's why I have these things. That's I, what he does, I, though. I admire the detail. When the nobody's around, he just stands and stares within an inch of his, <laughs> his spider man. He's admiring the texture work. He's admiring the shape of their skull. Yeah. All right, so, yeah, Spider-Man is the world's most profitable superhero. As of 2014, global retail sales of licensed products related to Spider-Man reached approximately $1.3 billion for the year. In comparison, the next closest one was Batman with about half a billion. Oh, my. Yeah. Close to half a billion. But you know what? Yeah. Spider-Man's a kid. He's more relatable. That just blew my mind, though. I always thought of Batman as the most popular superhero character. I think movie-wise, he's been more profitable. But apparently licensing-wise, it, uh, it's Spider-Man. More than Avengers, more than Superman, and more than Batman combined. Again, that was as of 2014. So anyway, I'm just going to talk a little bit about the creation and the early days of Spider-Man. There is a a good, hopefully good Spider-Man game coming out on September 7th, which is Friday, September 7th, 2018, in case you're listening to this sometime in the future. And it's made by Insomniac Games, which, you know, I did a tour of Insomniac Games. You did do a tour. Back in 2006. Which is a funny story as well. And... They, they make really good games. They made all the Ratchet and Clank games. They made the Resistance games. And they made a game called Sunset Overdrive that I really like as well. So I'm really excited. that I feel like this will be the first great Spider-Man games. There's been some pretty good ones. And there's been games that have nailed certain elements of the character. But there has not been a great Spider-Man game like there has been a great Batman game. Like Batman has the Arkham series, which is fantastic. But there, there there's no equivalent for Spider-Man, so I'm hoping this is it. So I'm all amped up, and I decided to to do some research on on early Spider-Man. So Spider-Man was created by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. Great. 
your enthusiasm. Oh, all right. He first appeared in the anthology comic book Amazing Fantasy number fifteen, which was date cover dated August nineteen sixty two, but which actually came out on June fifth of that year. Isn't that interesting, Maggie? June fifth is Maggie's birthday. You share it with Spider Man. You're not impressed. <laughs> You're like half smiling. You don't care. I don't. I don't give a shit. So anyway, with the success of the Fantastic Four that Stan Lee had created, uh, I believe with Jack Kirby, um, Marvel Comics editor and head writer at the time, Stan Lee, was looking for a new super, superhero idea. He says the idea for Spider-Man arose from a surge in teenage demand for comic books and the desire to create a character with whom teens could identify. However, Jack Kirby has something different to say. So in his autobiography, Stan Lee cites the non-superhuman pulp magazine crime fighter The Spider as a great influence, and in a multitude of print and video interviews, Lee stated he was further inspired by seeing a spider climb up a wall, adding in his autobiography that he has told that story so many times that he has become unsure of whether or not it is even true. So he may or may not have been inspired by an actual spider. So at the time, teenage superheroes were usually given names ending with boy. Lee says he chose Spider-Man because he wanted the character to age as the series progressed, and moreover felt that the name Spider-Boy would have made the character sound inferior to other superheroes. He had to get the consent of Marvel publisher Martin Goodman for the character's approval. In a 1986 interview, Stan Lee described in detail his arguments to overcome Goodman's objections. Goodman eventually agreed to a Spider-Man tryout, in what Lee in numerous interviews recalled as what would be the final issue of the science fiction and supernatural anthology series, Amazing Adult Fantasy, which was renamed Amazing Fantasy for that single issue, number 15. I'm sorry, it was called Amazing Adult Fantasy? Yes. They were was trying it to, sex? No, they were just trying to appeal to adults and not kids. Back then it meant something different. It didn't mean, <laughs> like, porno. They <laughs> like... Amazing adult fantasy nowadays. Right. <laughs> that would be a different thing. Right. It's like Fifty Shades of Grey. Right. So Stan Lee stated that the, the fact that it had already been decided that Amazing Fantasy was going to be canceled after issue 15. So that was the only reason Goodman allowed him to use Spider-Man. That is always so funny to me when you get a huge monstrous success and you get nothing but opposition from the higher ups about it, you know, and, so, and now it, you know, Spider-Man, most profitable licensed character, comic book character of all time. But at the time, he couldn't even get him in a comic. They're like, okay, fine, this is the last issue. Do a, your stupid fucking Spider-Man, Stan. Whatever, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's it's crazy to me when that happens. It's so infuriating to me in general that people get to positions of power when they don't recognize good ideas. Yes, that's that's a very that's good way to put it. Yes, and that's, yeah. <sighs> that's exactly what it is. It's a much more eloquent way of putting it, though. So anyway, Lee received Goodman's approval for the name Spider-Man and the ordinary teen concept and approached artist Jack Kirby. Kirby told Lee, about an unpublished character in which he had collaborated with someone named Joe Simon in the 1950s, in which an orphan boy living with an old couple finds a magic ring that granted him superhuman powers. Lee and Kirby immediately sat down for a story conference, and afterward, 
Lee directed Kirby to flesh out the character and draw some pages. Steve Ditko would just be the inker, which they literally just come in and it's like that whole argument in Chasing Amy. They just come in and kind of do shadows and add depth to the picture. It's like that one where they inked a penis. We were talking about... What? We were talking about in one of our previous episodes where I was like, there was a penis. And you were like, no, there was not. And you were like, that was an inking (laughs) choice. And I was like, well, they chose to ink a penis. (laughs) Our show sounds entertaining. I should listen to it sometimes. So when Kirby showed Lee the first six pages, Stan Lee recalled, I hated the way he was doing it. Not that he did it badly. It just wasn't the character I wanted. It was too heroic. So Stan Lee turned to Steve Ditko, who developed a visual style Lee found satisfactory. Steve Ditko recalled, One of the first things I did was to work up a costume, a vital visual part of the character. I had to know how he looked before I did any breakdowns. For example, a clean power so he wouldn't have hard shoes or boots, a hidden wrist shooter versus a web gun and holster, etc. I wasn't sure Stan would like the idea of covering the character's face, but I did it because it hid an obviously boyish, boyish face. It would also add mystery to the character. So although the interior work was done by Ditko alone, Stanley rejected his cover art and commissioned Kirby to do the cover that Ditko inked. Lee explained in 2010, quote, I think I had Jack sketch out a cover for it because I always had a lot of confidence in Jack's covers. It's kind of weird because he, he rejected his design of the character. Yeah, I don't. Okay, whatever. Yeah, he rejected his design of the character because I... Uh, more to that story, supposedly he was, he was too big, like uh, you know, like Thor or something. He was more muscular, and he wanted Spider-Man to be more so average, he, ordinary guy size. So when... So many questions. So does Ditko... First of all, what kind of a last name is that? Second of all, <laughs> does he take then, like, Kirby's drawing and then draw similar to that? Not, like, copy his style, but copy, no. like, the shape? No. Ditko Wait. designed the costume still. Yeah. I don't... Okay. Yeah, hang on. I'll, I'll get into it a little bit here. In an early recollection of the character's creation, Steve, Steve Ditko described his and Lee's contributions in a mail interview with Gary Martin, published in Comic Fan Number 2 back in summer of 1965. What does that mean? What? In a mail interview? Like, through the mail. Like, they had an interview via the mail. <laughs> yeah, the mail service, the postal service. Yeah. Wait, what year was this? 1965. Did they not have phones yet? Because I thought they had phones in 65. I, I'm guessing this was probably maybe like, I don't know, maybe a fan letter because comics will publish those. So maybe that's why it's worded that way. Anyway, Ditko said, Stan Lee thought the name up. I did costume web gimmick on wrist and spider signal. So at the time, Ditko shared at a Manhattan studio with uh, a noted fetish artist named Eric Stanton. Oh, that means. <laughs> like he would do like the, the fetish comics. This is why the Comics Code Authority had to come around is because there was a lot of horror and sex type comics being put out. What? Yeah. What? You didn't know that? Maybe I'll have to do an episode about that. What do you, what do you mean <laughs> I didn't know that? Yeah, why would I know that? <laughs> oh. I'm sorry. Hold on. Let's. All right. I got to sit up. We got to talk about this. This is not. What year was this? <laughs> this is in the 60s. OK, but like adult sex adventure time was like meant for like. <laughs> Amazing adult fantasy was not a sexual comic book. It was. But there were sexual comic books. There were. Some... They just weren't called that. Right. 
I don't know what they were called. I don't know anything, honestly. The only thing I know is... This should have been our first video one. We should have done this one. <laughs> this definitely should have been our first video one. So anyway, he shared this apartment with uh, this fetish artist named Eric Stanton. Okay. And cool. in a 1988 interview, uh, Stanton recalled that although his contribution to Spider-Man was almost nil, he and Ditko had worked on storyboards together, and I added a few ideas, but the whole thing was created by Steve on his own. I think I added the business about the webs coming out of his hands. So this guy, Eric Stanton, is says he contributed just a tiny, tiny bit to Spider-Man. But Steve, Steve Ditko and Stan Lee are considered the creators. Now, this is where Jack Kirby comes around. Jack Kirby is a comic artist god. Everybody worships Jack Kirby. Like, everyone. I don't. Because he, he had his hand in creating so many, so many characters. So, Jack Kirby disputed Lee's version of the story and claimed Lee had minimal involvement in the character's creation. According to Kirby, the idea for Spider-Man had originated with Kirby and Joe Simon, who in the 1950s had developed a character called the Silver Spider for the Crestwood Publications comic Black Magic, who was subsequently not used. Then Joe Simon in his 1990 autobiography disputed Kirby's account, asserting that Black Magic was not a factor and that Simon devised the name Spider-Man, later, ch later changed to the Silver Spider, while Kirby outlined the character's story and powers. Joe Simon later elaborated that his and Kirby's character conception became the basis for Simon's Archie comic superhero, The Fly. Artist Steve Ditko stated that Lee liked the name Hawkman from DC Comics and that Spider-Man was an outgrowth of that interest. Yeah, Hawkman, you know, because that was the first character to use man in their name, not Superman or Batman. But anyway, whatever. <laughs> I feel like comic book creators. Back in the day. Yeah, in like the 50s or whatever. Yeah, from the 40s to the... a bunch of fucking douchebags, like prideful assholes. Like, Maybe. calm down. Well, I, I think a lot of the problem was the fact that they worked for a publisher that when they created these characters, they had no right to them after that. Like, that was it. Like, it, it was like contract work, you know, and then to and they had no idea these characters were going to go on to become these. Well, who cares? Fucking cash they didn't have cows. any rights to it. Yeah, but they could have had contracts like nowadays. It, it's different with with comic publishing. You have very clear lines as to who the creators are, who gets credit, and you go to different publishers if you want to retain the rights to your You know creations. what? There's a fucking story there somewhere. No, oh, I did the Image Comics thing. That yeah, was that kind was, of part of that. <laughs> There's a story there somewhere. It's like Motown. It's like, you're going to pay me a whole $20? <laughs> right. You're like, whatever. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of that from back then. And you're right. Maybe it's pride. I think it just comes down to money, though, and, and recognition. The fact but that... They're not making any money now, are they? Well, most of them are dead. Well, Steve Ditko died in July. Jack Kirby died, I don't remember, uh, the past 10, 15 years, I think. Stan Lee is 95. He won't be around a whole lot longer. That's sad. I mean, it's not. He's 95. Like, at some point, you know. I really don't want to live till 95. I'm going on record right now, 95. Kind of old. Too old. Yeah, like, John McCain's mom is still <laughs> well, alive. I can't talk about that. That's more than I can I handle. To bury her eighty-year-old, eighty-one-year-old son—that's that's insane to me. No thanks. No thanks. Eighty-one's like a really good time to die, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. Like I'm like, you know what? Eighty-one. Live the good that's life. How you know the McCains were rich though. He was eighty-one, and the only reason he died is because he had cancer. Yeah. Otherwise, he'd he'd probably just he'd be fine. 
He would have been alive till 106 or however old his mom is. Right. So oh. author Blake Bell, who is considered a Steve Ditko scholar, wrote that it was Ditko who noted the similarities to The Fly. Ditko recalled that Stan called Jack about The Fly, adding that days later, Stan told me I would be penciling the story panel breakdowns from Stan's synopsis. It was at this point that the nature of the strip changed. Out went the magic ring, adult Spider-Man, and whatever legend ideas that Spider-Man's story would have contained. Lee gave Ditko the premise of a teenager bitten by a spider and developing powers, a premise Ditko would expand upon to the point he became what Bell describes as the first work for hire artist of his generation to create and control the narrative arc of his series. On the issue of the initial creation, Ditko states, I still don't know whose idea was Spider-Man, end quote. Kirby noted in a 1971 interview that it was Ditko who, quote, got Spider-Man to roll and the thing caught on because of what he did, end quote. Lee, while claiming credit for the initial idea, has acknowledged Ditko's role, stating, If Steve wants to be called co-creator, I think he deserves it. He has further commented that Ditko's costume design was key to the character's success. Since the costume completely covers Spider-Man's body, people of all races could visualize themselves inside the costume and thus more easily identify with the character. So, I've always known it to be a Stan Lee, Steve Ditko creation, and I didn't even know about the Jack Kirby involvement. All right, so a few months after Spider-Man's introduction... Publisher Goodman, you remember this guy, Mr. No, No to Spider-Man guy, reviewed the sales figures for that issue and was shocked to find it was one of the Marvel's highest selling comics. And Marvel was like kind of new, like that whole name and everything. He's shocked. Shocked to find, oh, my creative guys know what the fuck they're doing. He's like, that's shocking information. Right. And Stan Lee had been around doing this for like the past 20 years. In what year he had been around for 20 years already? Uh, 1962. Jesus Christ, Stanley. Yeah. Jesus Christ. I was going to talk about him and just how he got started. He got hired in as basically like an intern kind of guy, like an assistant to whatever. It wasn't called Marvel at the time. Eventually became Marvel. He gets hired in as that and it goes on to create all these characters. It's pretty crazy. So a solo ongoing series followed, beginning with The Amazing Spider-Man number one, which came out in March of 1963. Title eventually became Marvel's top-selling series, with the character swiftly becoming a cultural icon. A 1965 Esquire poll of college campuses found that college students ranked Spider-Man and fellow Marvel hero the Hulk alongside Bob Dylan and Che Guevara as their favorite revolutionary icons. (laughs) (laughs) One interviewee selected Spider-Man because he was, quote, beset by woes, money problems, and the question of existence. In short, he is one of us. (laughs) One of us. Yeah, so when Spider-Man first appeared in the early 1960s, teenagers in superhero comic books were usually relegated to the role of sidekick to the protagonist. You know, see Robin. Jesus. Or Bucky, Captain America. He was a teenage kid in the I was like, Bucky? No, that's the movie version in the the comics. Sebastian Stan is a badass. Yeah, no, Bucky was was like Robin. He was a kid. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Yikes. Just jibes. Spider-Man series broke ground by featuring Peter Parker, a high school student from Queens, behind Spider-Man's secret identity, and with whose self-obsessions with rejection, inadequacy, and loneliness, young readers could relate. While Spider-Man had all the makings of a sidekick, unlike previous teen heroes such as Bucky and Robin, Spider-Man had no superhero mentor like Captain America and Batman. Thus, he had to learn for himself. With great power, there must also come great responsibility. A line included Um. in a text box in the final panel of the first Spider-Man story, but later retroactively attributed to his guardian, the late Uncle Ben. 
Uncle Ben. We're not going to talk about Uncle Ben's death, are we? Do you want to talk about Uncle Ben's death? No. <laughs> so anyway, I, that's that's all I have for the comic book Spider-Man. There, there will be a part two. There'll be some more Spider-Man for you. I can tell you're excited already. Cool. No, I am because... I want to talk about... I hope you have a lot more because of the my part two for Twin Peaks. Yeah. It's going to be real short because I really don't like season two all that much, which is <laughs> weird because I really do, but I don't I like parts of it. Yeah. Like my tattoo largely comes from season. once two. they solve the Laura Palmer thing, though, that's when I lose interest after that. When and I, that's all I'm all I'm covering up to or covering. Yeah. Covering up to is like um, in episode seven when they figure it out and when he kills his niece. Do you yeah. remember that? Yeah. When he killed and Sarah, he drugs his wife and kills his niece. I, uh, I stop. I stop covering it. It's great. And like, I still recommend you watch it, but I stop. I'm just like, you know what? I don't really want to. I don't really want to cover anymore. It's such a good show, you guys. It doesn't. <laughs> there's a reason Sean covers TV shows and movies and all that stuff. And I don't because I'm not good at it. <laughs> that's not true. I I'm like good at events thing. and stuff like that. I am not good. This is not this is not a good episode. I'm sorry. Thanks for <laughs> listening. Bye guys. Bye.